Yellow? Vargas, man, where are you? Uh, I'm driving on my way. Oh, uh, hey, he's not here. He's not... Wait, what? Brian's missing. It's not a secret that Brian had been acting a little weird. I mean, the Colts episode appeared to really get him hooked onto something, but not quite the way we had thought it would. After he left the podcast yesterday, Vargas and I packed up and went our separate ways. Brian didn't answer any of our texts last night and this morning, but we had a recording to do, so I decided to pack everything up and head over in the afternoon. When I arrived to his apartment, there wasn't anything amiss. No cop cars, no ambulances, no fire trucks, no creepy dudes just hanging around. I walked up to his door and something felt off. Something felt really different. I couldn't put my finger on it, though. I opened the door and entered and didn't hear Brian or see him immediately. I called out and only heard the echo of my voice throughout the apartment. Something weird happened here, I thought to myself. Again, that feeling that something was just off. I called out again and stopped short. I didn't hear Bella. I walked quickly through the apartment and he wasn't anywhere. Brian was just gone. I called Vargas, told him to hurry to Brian's. I needed an extra pair of eyes. In our recording room, all his books and notebooks been put away on the shelving except for that one sheet of paper. Follow the path, it said. What the fuck? I told myself. Nope, I'm just waiting on Vargas. I sat on the steps leading to Brian's apartment and Vargas pulled up. He stood at the bottom of the stairs looking at me expectantly. Well, he asked. He's not here, I told him. Neither is Bella. Huh. Well, I'm sure he's out somewhere dropping her off at his parents. That's normal for him. I nodded. Yeah, that made sense. If Bella wasn't here, she would be with him or or at his parents. Okay, simple. Let's just call his parents. Vargas pulled out his phone and called Shirley. We ventured inside and stood by the door like we expected the damn apartment to cave in at any second. Oh, hey, Shirley, it's Vargas. You uh, wouldn't have happened to see Brian. Vargas stands there looking at the window. Uh-huh. Oh, she is? Vargas looks at me and whispers, Bella's there, but he isn't. All right, what the fuck is going on? I pull up my phone and I call Brian's number. In the kitchen, I hear his iPhone tone ring and ring. My stomach starts to tie into knots. I walk over to his phone. There's all of our texts, all of our calls, texts from his mom and dad, and a recent missed call from me. I shake my head and hold the phone so Vargas can see it. He gets off the phone with Shirley and walks to look at the phone. Okay, he starts. Is there anything on the phone or around here that's a hint? I tell him I haven't checked his phone yet, but there's nothing here. Nothing that screams, here's Brian, he went here. Vargas opens Brian's phone and begins scanning through messages and anything else that looks helpful. Something tickles the back of my brain as I remember those words again. Follow the path. Wait, I tell Vargas about that sheet of paper with follow the path scribbled on it in the back room. What does that mean, Vargas asked. Damn it, dude, I was hoping you would know. All right, fine. He brought it up a couple times talking about Netflix, right? Ancient aliens. Oh, fuck, that's right. He started to fall down that Reddit thread too. We walk to the recording room and both stare at the piece of paper like Brian's about to pop out of it and tell us what's going on. That definitely didn't happen, but I could still hope, right? Instead, we stand for some time, dumbfounded this thing. Follow the path, it says, so plainly. But where? How? What fucking path? This vague assertion seems almost sarcastic at this point, like it's doing a bit. Well, Vargas starts, how many paths can we take? I know he's being funny, but I don't want to admit that it makes my stomach less knotted up. I tell him, I mean, I don't see any yellow brick roads outside me. My third eye is clamped shut at the moment. Vargas sighs an oh boy for the ages. It's the sigh of 2020. It's getting dark out. Let's head out and call his parents, I tell him. We start moving our way through the apartment and turning off all the lights. As we step out the front door, the automatic light on Brian's stoop lights up and then blinks once, twice, and cuts out. Holy shit, it's dark outside and cold. Fuck, how do we get in this? How do we let... Vargas nudges me. I look at him with furrowed brows for interrupting my lament when I see that he's staring at the ground. 
He points and I turn my head to follow his gaze. There on the ground in I shit you not glow in the dark paint are the words path and an arrow pointing down the stairs. I'm surprised my eyes were able to stay in my head when I saw that. My stomach twists back right into that knot and my knees feel empty. That anxious feeling when it feels like you might collapse at any second. What the fuck is this? I don't know, Vargas says. I didn't even know I said anything out loud. I look at Vargas and his eyes are as wide as mine. Well, the path is here. Do we follow? He gulps and nods his head. We slowly make our way down the stairs and at the bottom of the stairs is another arrow. Barely seen because of the ambient light, but there it is. This one points towards the back parking lot. We continue walking and see another arrow pointing to the side street. Vargas shrugs and we carry on. We stop under the street light and look beneath our feet. There's no way we can see anything with this light. I look again at Vargas and wonder out loud how we're supposed to keep this up. As if on cue, we hear a pop from down the street about a block away. There at the corner, the street light blinks once, twice, and cuts out. At the corner, we make out the faint aura of a glow in the dark paint. We make our way to the corner and the arrow points down the main road towards 39th. We continue walking, speculating as to where we're going. There's no way Brian set up this elaborate of a prank. Brian's just not a prank guy. He enjoys a great bit when the time is right, but he doesn't prank. Where the fuck would he get glow in the dark paint? We cross 39th Street. Both of us look like bloodhounds looking for the next arrow. At another corner, the arrow points across the street right to the imposing brick of the maintenance building and stables. We walk slowly up the drive and stop. To our left is the main building. There's a simple green door set between brown wooden paneling. White brick provides the structure and multiple windows are closed and shuttered with the same brown wooden paneling. I look to Vargas and he shakes his head and points. In front of the padlock gate is a large arrow pointing inside of the brick fence. I push on the gate. It was locked and rattles terribly in the dark. Vargas looks uncomfortable. He takes a deep breath, but before he can say anything, I cut him off and I say, I, I say we hop this bad boy. Vargas sighs again, and I think the same chill runs up both of our spines. Before we can try and say anything to change our minds, Vargas grabs the top of the gate and gets a foot on the lower bar. Ungracefully, but successfully, he pulls himself to an uncomfortable straddle on top of the gate. I follow suit. Leaping at the gate, I don't quite make it on the top of my first attempt, so I reset and try again. I get a firm handhold, but I can feel the metal at the top digging into my palm. I make a mental note to check on the tetanus time when all this shit's over. Vargas gives me a hand to get my leg over the top. From our perch, we can barely make out the openings of each stable. Insides are shrouded with impenetrable darkness and shadows. The ground is an ancient asphalt and dirt with dead yellow patches of grass are springing up. Vargas slides down into the dark. I follow him to the ground. In the darkness away from the street, we see many arrows leading to the back of the main building. We follow this slowly, and it quickly becomes clear it's leading us to what appears to be a small shack at the back of the maintenance building. I tell Vargas, I know what this is. This is an old maintenance building in the stables. It has to be a smaller storage building behind there. Perfect, he replies. Doesn't seem weird or creepy at all. We walk to the building, and as we inch closer, we see those windows are boarded up as well. But by the shape of it, I think I'm right on the money. Vargas pulls out his cell phone and cocks his head as he stares at the screen. I look over and see this dim phone screen is just going crazy. It's like snow on an old TV. He shakes his phone, but it continues to do this thing. Like another channel is coming into focus. I pull out my phone and see the same thing. I stare at Fargus, and he stares back at me. If this weren't for Brian, I know I say, we would just cut and run. Fuck him. He holds up a staticky screen and he illuminates the faded wall. We can't quite see what's written there, but we decide it says storage. So what, Vargas starts. The arrows lure people here for storage? Yeah, I snort. Or a drug deal? We walk around the building and come to a door at the back. It's secured by an old combination padlock. Vargas grabs it, shakes it, like he's trying to get it to come off. No luck. 
Out of the corner of my eye, I see more paint. There, on the ground, are the numbers 1356. I point this out to Vargas and he puts in the combination. Click. It opens. I feel like I'm going to shit, Vargas tells me. I just nod my head because the thought of expressing my fear just gives me just more anxiety. Pulling the padlock aside, we push on the old door. It creaks loudly and ominously and gets stuck about a third of the way open. I place my foot through the door and move an obstruction with a thud. The door opens about halfway and I peek in. A deep, inky blackness greets me. I can't see a thing. I look back at my phone and the main screen is consumed with that static. It's fucking useless, I tell Vargas. We should have brought a flashlight. I've got one in my car in a roadside rescue kit, he responds. I just stare at him. He shrugs. Vargas takes a turn and peeks in. Just as I am about to suggest going back to grab that flashlight, Vargas reaches into the darkness and I hear a click, and a dim light appears within. Holy shit, he says. I flipped that switch but never thought in a million years that would work. We push our way into the building and look around us, lining all four walls or empty shelving. In the middle of the room are workbenches and a desk. Everywhere is a thin coating of that strange dust that accumulates in the absence of people, the sort of dust you would expect to find in a tomb. Vargas heads towards the opposite corner of the building, and I head towards a shelving unit with cabinets. I try a large cabinet door, and inside I find shelf after shelf of boxed candy. Not just any candy boxes, but really old boxes of the stuff. I recognize Crackjack boxes and Hershey's, but the labels are ancient. Before I can look into the next cabinet, Vargas calls for me to come over to him. He's standing over a hatch in the floor. He had pulled up the door covering it and was attempting to peer into the darkness. Think there's another light down there, he asked me. I shrugged, but he's already bounding down the steps. I set the door open all the way and carefully walked down the stairs after him. In hindsight, I should have stopped and looked at the other side of the door leading down into the basement. I might have noticed more glowing paint. If I would notice that glowing paint, I surely would have noticed another arrow pointing to the basement door set into the ground. Might have given me pause, but I didn't notice these things. I was halfway down the stairs when I heard another click. My eyes were immediately drawn to a dim glow in the corner of the basement as Vargas said, Found it! I walked towards a light, bumping into more empty shelves and some strange debris along the way. Canvas bags, like sacks of oats. They're covered in the same dust that was above us, but I was more concerned with the shelf under the light. Held film canisters. Holy shit, these have to be something cool, Vargas said. On the flat spine of each one was tape, and written on the first one I grabbed was 98. I look at Vargas, and he held up two, one with 79 written on it, another said 2010. What the hell were these? I picked up one more and had the time to read 2035 when a loud whirring sound made us both jump. It was loud coming from the stairs. It sounded familiar like a garbage disposal or some electric power tool. We saw the shadows changing from the light in the hatchway. We nearly knocked over the shelf and the motor kicked on. I had my fingers plugged into my ears and Vargas had a comical, frightened expression on his face. I probably had the same look on mine. At last, that sound stopped. We stood still for a moment while our hearts raced in our chests. Then, as if awakening from a trance, we quickly ran to the bottom of the stairs. At first, I couldn't understand what I was seeing. Was the ceiling upstairs covered in black stripes? Had something happened to the light upstairs? No, Vargas let out. It finally clicked. The opening we had just come through moments ago was now blocked by iron bars. Vargas ran up the steps as high as he could go and began to push against them with all his will, but his shaking and jarring only rattled the creaky wooden staircase. I walked to the back of the stairs and looked at the motorized contraption attached to the iron bars, but it was so dark I could barely make it out. I yelled at Vargas to get over here. He stood next to me and looked at the box. He held up his phone and in the dim light radiating from the home screen, we saw the giant box had been cleverly mounted to the basement ceiling. If there was a way to access this device, we couldn't see it. We heard movement from upstairs, something moving across the floor. The air suddenly changed. When we went on our short paranormal investigation, we were told when activity began, something in air would change. It was like a different, odd feeling. I got that feeling. My entire body erupted in goosebumps. 
Something moved to the top of the stairs. We slowly walked to the base of the stairs. A light shone behind the figure. I couldn't make out their features, but all I could see was its gray skin and long fingers. My stomach dropped as the light behind the figure blinked once, twice, and cuts out. We both scream and look around us for anything to help. Vargas runs to the closest bag of oats and unties it. Once he's done, he makes a sound I've never heard before, something between a scream and a moan. He starts to hyperventilate. I run to him as he drops the opening of the bag and a white hand hits the floor. A head of hair tumbles out of the bag and lands on the floor. I stop quickly and I feel nauseous. I look back to the top of the stairs and I can only make out the outline of this figure. It's tall and thin, unnaturally tall. It just stares back at me. I grab my phone and press the emergency button between flickering of static on the screen. I explain where we are, how we jumped the fence and walked into this shack are now in a basement with something upstairs. Oh, and there's bodies in the bag surrounding us. The voice on the other end of the line tells me to hang on, stay on the line. I frantically look around me as Vargas slowly backs away from the bag in front of him towards the stairs. I hear a click as the voice comes back on the line and I interrupt, practically yelling, look, there are dead bodies down here, dozens of them. The voice tells me to stay calm, tells me just to stay on the line, ask for my name. I tell her my name, I answer her other checklist of questions. I tell her I don't know how much battery's left, please send help. This voice is our lifeline out of this crazy situation. She pauses, then tells me, you know, making prank calls to emergency rescue is a very serious crime. My blood turns cold. My breath catches in my chest. She thinks we're fucking joking. I croak out, ma'am, I swear to you, I have never been more serious in my life. Please send someone to help. If we're lying, you can arrest us, just please. She laughs. Young man, don't you have better things to do on a school night? I hear a click and then nothing else. Oh my God, Vargas, she didn't believe me. He breathes deeply and looks at his phone. I see him dial zero for the operator, and he calmly says, Operator, I need the non-emergency number for the KC police, not 911 or dispatch, the police department. There's a moment of silence, then he speaks in a deep voice. Hello, officer. I'd like to report some kids in an abandoned building. They were throwing bottles or something and maybe wrecking the place. I saw them drag something behind the building. Yes, thank you. Vargas, fucking brilliant Vargas. I could have kissed the man. He gives the location of the building and the shack. He answers more of their questions and requests from them to please hurry. We look back at the figure at the top of the stairs and it hasn't moved. Then it raises a hand and the walls begin to pulsate. I feel a pounding in my ears and I involuntarily cover them with my hands, but the sound is in my head. I look at Vargas and he feels it too. I see the dots in front of my eyes as, as if I'm gonna pass out. I try to take a step away, but my legs do not move from where they seem to be rooted to the spot. I look down at my feet and I'm floating above the floor. I hear a siren and suddenly I fall to the ground, hitting my head in that dirt. I blink once, twice, and I'm out. My eyes flutter and I hear a voice saying, what seems to be the problem here? There's a pause as I blink my vision straight. A high otherworldly voice responds, nothing, nothing is wrong. Children invaded this place. I came to take care of them. The gruff voice rumps and asks, do you own this property? I begin to scream. I scream bloody fucking murder. Vargas joins in and we run up to the stairs to beat on the iron bars. Vargas sprints to the film canisters and bangs them together to make an unholy racket. The cop's eyes bug out of his head as he sees me and he looks back at the creature. The cop reaches for his waist and the figure raises his arm. The cop screams, put your arm down, put it! But he chokes and stops yelling. He is lifted from the ground while the figure stands six feet away from him. I hear a crash from behind me and turn to Vargas destroying the metal shelf. He runs to the metal bar to me and says, we need to get these bars open. A long, low moan escapes from the cop's mouth. Vargas jams the metal bar through the bars 
and we begin to push upward against them. The bar makes contact with the wooden floor and we hear that satisfying crunch and groan of bending wood followed by a delightful snap. The bar is bent upwards. A bright white light fills the door frame, blasting light into the upstairs room. We push rhythmically against the bar. The bar is bent away from the wooden floor. We push with all our strength and dig deep to find more. The cop's arms and legs bend backwards to the door frame in that blinding white light. We bend, push, pull, twist, and jar. The bars give an inch, two inches. The figure's head snaps to us, hearing that racket. The cop's body falls to the ground. Vargas, I scream, keep going. Vargas closes his eyes and continues his effort. The figure's eyes lock onto mine and my whole body begins to feel heavy. He raises an arm. The white light spilling in front of the doorway gets brighter, begins to fill my entire vision. The walls melt away. I hear Vargas scream my name, but he feels so far away. I hear a clattering as something heavy and metal hits the ground close to the top of the stairs. From a million miles away, my eyes see a glint of light pass by my eyes. It's a gun. My body feels thrown through space. Time makes no sense anymore. The white light bleeds into a kaleidoscope of colors cocooning me. My hand grasps that cold metal. My head bursts with color and a sound so loud, I can't begin to comprehend it. I feel like Betty and Dreesen traveling what feels like the speed of light. I raise my arm in another world towards the figure. My body suddenly stops in front of the colorful creature that fills my entire eyesight. It is big as eternity, never ending. I hear a sound that shakes the universe and the creature stirs. I pull the trigger. My ears in another world register a bang that shakes this vision. I come crashing back to the stairs and try to hold on to this memory. Try to hold on to everything that's happening. Everything spins and I... Hey, a voice yells out. What the hell are you guys doing here? Vargas and I turn and look at the officer who's approaching us. He shines a flashlight in our faces and repeats himself. I look around and see the padlock gate, the stone fence surrounding the stables and leading to the main maintenance building. I start to collect myself and Vargas responds, Sorry, officer, we were just looking for a friend. The officer cocks his head at us and tells us to head home. This is private property. If we need anything, call the police. We thank him and begin the walk back to Brian's. We don't say a word as we stand in Brian's parking lot looking up at his lit window. We don't say a word as we head up the stairs and open to see Brian sitting on his couch, staring straight ahead at a blank, staticky TV. We step closer to him and he turns and asks where we've been. Where we've been, Vargas responds. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, he says as he turns back to the TV. I'm exhausted. I check my phone and hours have passed. I nudge Vargas and we both head outside. Before I get into my car, I look up at Brian's window. He's standing there, staring at the sky. He notices me and gives a little wave. His lights blink once, twice, and cuts out. This has been Debates on Tap presents and another talk. You can find us on Twitter at Debates on Tap, at Gmail at Debates on Fans at Gmail.com, and on Instagram at Debates on Pictures. Uh, one last thing. One thing you should know about Brian is that he turns his phone off at night. I know. If there's ever an emergency, you can't get a hold of him. It's a problem. Except that wasn't the case last night. I woke up at 3 a.m. Before I went to go pee, I glanced at my phone, and there's a text from Brian. I respond for some reason, and I immediately get a message back. In it, Brian asks if I've listened to the raw recording before he posts this episode. I text back, absolutely. Why? He tells me he's noticed voices that aren't mine throughout the recording. I tell him I haven't heard any voices. He texts back, that's nothing. He just needs more sleep. I haven't heard any voices, listener. Have you? <laughs>